Welcome to Labor Pains Podcast, brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am a woman that is very passionate and on a mission to help women and men that are struggling with infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. I am here to help share stories of the struggles that couples have gone through to inspire and give you hope to continue on your journey to have a family to love. I have talked to so many men and women that have all told me the same thing, that they all felt very, very alone as they were going through the struggles and the grief. I want you to know that you are not alone and I am here to connect you to others to give you hope beyond the struggles and the grief. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I want to welcome today Cassie and Mike. They are here to share their story of becoming parents. Cassie and Mike, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Oh, you are welcome. So glad you guys are here today. And this is the first time that I've had two people on the podcast at the same time. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to start the same as I always do. The first question is always, when did you guys decide that you wanted to have children, wanted to start a family? So Mike and I have been together since high school. We started dating when we were 16. And oh boy, yeah, like my story. <laughs> <It's> a long <laughs> time. Um, so I think we always knew that eventually we wanted a family. We, you know, we were very careful for a long time because we didn't, we wanted to time it right. And we wanted to make sure that we had all of our wild oats sown before we decided to do that. But mm-hmm. I think we always knew that we wanted kids. Yeah, I know we wanted to get married first and we wanted to graduate college and make sure we both had secured jobs. Okay and make sure we had insurance and everything else lined up. And once we had all that achieved, then we knew that it was time to start family planning. Okay. So did you get married while you were in college or after college? When did marriage come in all that? So we got engaged in my last semester. Mike had already been, Mike was already graduated. He was a semester ahead of me. Okay. And so I got, we got engaged in my last semester and then uh, married the following June. Okay. So when we first got married, we took, we wanted to wait about a year or so, make sure we had purchased our own home, okay. make sure we had a, our honeymoon and vacation and do a couple things as adults before we um, had kids. And then after about a year, we decided that it was time, you know, well, and there was always, you know, we kind of, we knew for a very long time that we were going to, that something, it was going to take something to get pregnant because okay. we... I didn't have a menstrual cycle. I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I didn't have a cycle for a long time. And we knew from (laughs) sex ed that you have to have a menstrual cycle. Yeah. You know, that typically makes things easier. So Mm -hmm. um, we knew for a really long time that we were going to have to do something to get pregnant. So I guess the decision, we did make a, a decision to start venturing out and finding the help that we needed. Okay. You know what I mean? And start having those conversations because you knew. Yeah. So then it was really mm-hmm. smart not to wait too long. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted, we wanted to have kids while we were young. We didn't want to be older parents per se. We wanted to be young and 
Um, we knew that we were going to run into some roadblocks. So I think we actually started this summer after we got married, started to kind of explore to see what the problems were um, with everything going on. And that's when we first got our first word of infertility. Yeah. Well, we tried to, you know, like we went to a, we had an appointment just to kind of see what was going on. And so mm -hmm. like we told our doctor, we weren't ready to like totally dive in. Like we, you know what I mean? We, we wanted to try some less invasive um, type thing before we got a formal, like, you know, cause that, that feeling is kind of looming sometimes mm -hmm. when things aren't lining up and doing what they're supposed to do. And so it was like, we could feel it. We knew that we were going to have to do something bigger, but the year between getting married and we went on a 21 day cruise, mm. we went on a really big vacation that next summer. Like the year between there, we did some pharmaceutical stuff. Like we did some different combinations of things and tried to get things ovulating and cycling and it was, and things weren't shaping up right when she mm -hmm. first went to the doctor he diagnosed her with PCOS and it wasn't a mild case. <laughs> it was very severe. So we knew that things weren't going to work out yeah. well. So after the pharmaceuticals and all of the things that we tried um, prior to making the decision of IVF, um, we decided, Hey, let's go on a really long vacation this summer mm -hmm. and let's make our decision there. And the decision was to either adopt or create our own biological family. Okay. We didn't know. What we wanted so to just do. for the listers, explain what symptoms and stuff you were having besides not having a period that you knew something was wrong or was it just no. not the period? Yeah. Um, okay. My weight can fluctuate on a dime. Okay. Um, I mean, typically when I'm not doing anything with hormones, I'm very like, even I can be very even keel. You know what I mean? But if, if I'm on birth control or something, I'm very up and down. Um, I have a lot of physical discomfort when I have a menstrual cycle because I don't ever have one and my ovaries are covered in cysts. Okay. So um, they are usually far more intense than they really should be. Okay. Um, I don't ever have a mild period. It's, okay. um, and like, you know, um, if you Google PCOS, I fall into like very typical I don't ovulate. I don't have a regular menstrual cycle. It fluctuates back okay. and forth. It can fluctuate with weight gain and weight loss. It can, there's just nothing predictable about it. Mm -hmm. So you started with the medication, mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals, and then what happened with that? That I'd help it all kind of walk us through all of that then. So when she started the medication, it was mostly just to see if they could get things straightened out sure. that weren't already working properly. And in doing so, she ended up having to have a biopsy because with how many cysts were there, they weren't sure if any could potentially be cancerous. Sure. So then we had that whole procedure to determine if there are any other underlying issues. Okay. Because when you don't have a menstrual cycle, your lining just builds up and builds up. And he was like, with how thick your lining is, I'm not convinced you don't have cancer. Oh, so we did a biopsy okay. to rule that out. And fortunately, we, we ruled it out. Uh, you know, good. on that front, everything was good. Yep. And then we moved on to, um, trying to shed some of that lining. And so ironically it's birth control that you use to create that regular mm. menstrual cycle. So okay. uh -huh. I started in heavy doses, progesterone, progesterone, um, which 
would you say made me a very sane person, Michael? <laughs> Is that really what you said? <laughs> what did you say? It was an interesting time. <laughs> it only made our marriage grow stronger. Really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Progesterone's a rough one. It was a rough one for me. And like it induced this period that caused me to have to take three days off work. Um, it was very serious. Um, so now when we talk to other couples who are going through infertility and they say, well, they just started on progesterone. I just tell the other husbands, buckle up, that <laughs> oh, find a couch, maybe <laughs> get comfortable, drop, be supportive, drop but... the ice cream at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Don't speak words. Just, no, yeah, just, just be supportive. Okay. Whatever you want. Yes. Okay. Well, yep. good that you were like that. Yeah. That didn't like leave at that time no <laughs> <laughs> made your marriage stronger yeah you can deal with that okay yeah he good. was in it good so um, then what so, came after that or how did that all yeah I mean, how were you how long did you have to take that oh i was on birth control to i was on birth control just to get my period and my lining down for like six months mm -hmm. six okay. or seven months because you know like the first one it was rough like I said I had to take days off work because mm -hmm. it was so bad and then um they progressively got what you know appeared to be more regular you know what I mean so sure. it wasn't as painful and it wasn't as serious okay. and um yeah, and I would say you start all that in like August so then around March when things still weren't shaping up the way that they had thought they might mm -hmm. they knew there was that risk of things not being able to be fixed themselves and us having to lead into the choice of IVF or not. Okay. Um, when we hit that decision in March or April, we said, let's book a really, really long vacation this summer mm -hmm. and take time to make sure that we're both on the same page and then make a decision between yeah. either adoption or IVF. Because unfortunately, as two teachers, we couldn't afford to do IVF and not have it work and then sure. choose to adopt financially sure. it just wasn't an option so both of those we had options to, are expensive both they options are. were very expensive and they're both you had to commit to one or the other so that's when we decided to book a vacation and and you have to really get your mind around what you're doing mm -hmm. you know because mike has always been a teacher in a behavior program and so he works with kids that genuinely need a home and so it, you know, his mind was already there. Like if we went adoption, we were obviously going to go through a local foster care agency. And like, mm -hmm. that is a totally different mindset than mm -hmm. I'm going to make this baby myself. You know what I mean? So sure. we, we really had to get on the, we, we, we pretty much stayed on the same page. We, it was in a long discussion to decide that we wanted to do this and we wanted the, the people that we make to be ours, you know? Um, but it helped to unplug and not, we didn't, there was, there's no interference when you're on a cruise because it's just the two of you and you could don't have cell service and you don't have access to the internet unless you pay for it. Maybe, you know, so it was very easy to like, just enjoy that time and awesome. make that decision. We won't talk about that right now, but maybe a little later we can talk about after we're done recording where you went for 21 days it sounds amazing it was great yeah i think everybody like to do that right now just yeah. unplug from this whole uh -huh. stuff we've got going on so we'll, we'll talk about that later and a big yeah. part that fed into our decision making was we had a support system around us that was okay familiar with ivf um our niece and nephew were both born um as twins um through ivf 
Okay. So my sister and brother-in-law had fertility issues. So they were able to kind of help us, guide us, oh, tell us great. about mm -hmm. what what it would entail and, and what going into even as far as like percentages and like how it could be successful and help guide us along the right direction with that. So I think that really helped us kind of curve our decision too, mm -hmm. to lean toward more IVF. But there were some other outside influences that kind of fought against us um, very briefly when we talk about like religion and people's mm -hmm. opinions. So sure. when we did decide to go all in, we decided that we were going to back each other and make this decision and we would never hide the decision from anybody. Um, so we are completely open to tell anybody and because is it one in eight mm -hmm. people struggle with fertility. So we want to be as open as possible to help other people who are sure. going through the same process, but we definitely hit those walls. What, well, we had it kind of easy because my family knew all about infertility. That's true. her family did it's, not. Yeah. So trying to explain to her parents and her family how it works versus my parents and my family already knew about it, once. trying to explain it all. But yeah. luckily, both families were 100% supportive yeah. of us going through IVF and creating the family that we wanted. That you wanted. We're, um, we're Catholic mm. and our whole family, our, Mike's family and my family, they're both Catholic. Yeah. And people... I mean, once, cause we put it out there, like we're not, we're not scared of people's opinions that we decided what we were going to do and we're going to do yeah. what we want to do. Um, but you know, like Mike was asked one time, well, do you think you really can continue going to the Catholic church after you've done this? And his response was one of my favorites. And he was like, you know what? I vowed on my wedding day in front of God and the congregation that I would make a Catholic child with my wife. And that is what I'm doing. Mm. nobody told me how I had to do it yeah so you know it you we combat with support but like you, we did run into some hurdles well and I think the Catholic faith and we won't get into this too much I think it's it's changing and mm -hmm. I think there are some priests that are definitely out there I mean I'm Catholic as well and I have three um grandchildren that I would not have if we were in strict Catholic doctrine doctrine, yep. you know, but I think two of them have been baptized and their priest, you know, walked through kind of the process a little bit with both of my daughters as they were struggling. So mm -hmm. times are changing. Times are absolutely changing. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of changes. And then it was 2016. Yeah. <laughs> but times have changed. People just get so brave with their questions. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, they and do. They yeah. do. So after the cruise, you decided IVF was the way that you were going to go. Yes. Correct. Because right before okay. our cruise, we had a sit down with our doctor and he was like, okay, now you're done. You know, like your choice is IVF or I don't have really anything else to offer you because everything else isn't working and you're trying it, continuing to try these things that aren't working is just going to keep putting your body through more trauma okay. and I'm not convinced it's going to work. Okay. So... So you didn't do um, IUIs or any of that leading up to a straight to IVF? No, because of how, how severe her PCOS was, IUIs would not have worked. Okay. And so they determined that from the get-go. So it was all pharmaceuticals. They were hoping that maybe after some of the medicine, things would shape up to where IUIs could potentially work. But given the trauma that her body had mm -hmm. been through in the six months that she was on those, they said IUIs wouldn't wouldn't be effective, 
So IVF was the route to take okay. if we wanted to go the route of um, infertility treatment. And Yeah. Well, it's great that the doctor was able to do that. I mean, because I think a lot of times, and could be insurance, I don't know, that, you know, there's certain stepping stones that you have to step on, you know, Clomid or fertility drugs, IUI, you know, that mm -hmm. stuff. And then the IVF, you know, it's like you got to go through everything. But it was good that yeah. you got and to we skip did, that one. You know, like um, there there was definitely mandatory stepping stones with all of our stuff. Fortunately, uh -huh. we had our insurance and we had the Illinois mandate to help out. So they, you know, in combination, some of those stepping stones were able to be a little bit more grayed out than others. Okay, good. But, good. you know, so we weren't forced to do so many of everything mm -hmm. it just either was working or it wasn't okay so quicker, I, quicker process mm -hmm. and clomid i think was in the one of the in things. the pharmaceutical <laughs> plan beforehand mm -hmm. it, it didn't it didn't change anything for us so that yeah. that was xed off pretty quickly um and then it was either iui or ivf and the iui was not something that would have worked so instead of putting the body through that trauma and doing all that yeah it was the decision was made that it was either going to be IVF or, or possibly adoption. Right. If we want to grow our have our family grow. Okay. So you started IVF. Mm -hmm. And yeah, how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> um, it so that's not easy. No, it's Talk not about hard on your body. Well. When you gotta, when you have to sit down and have the conversation, you're going through all these things, and they're giving you calendars and pamphlets and hands out and schedules and a list of injections. And oh, by the way, this might not work. Yeah, this might what be is just the like everything else. Percentage of that working, right? I mean, it's not great. Mm -hmm. Well, another part with us is we wanted to do it so that she could potentially have the baby in April or May, baby sure. or babies in April or May, because as teachers, then she could roll her maternity leave right in the summer. Perfect. Or we could have that nice mm -hmm. long break. That's yeah. Mike. He's so, trying to be organized about it. I was trying to be organized about it. So when we got off the cruise ship in July, we knew that we had to start August, September timeframe. Yeah. If we wanted everything to work mm -hmm. out. And so we literally got off the ship and called the doctor and was like, it's time. And we got <laughs> yeah. in within a week or two and everything then kind of went by whirlwind it was everything was thrown at you mm -hmm. it was here's a calendar here's your meds you need to call your insurance to do this you need to get the meds from this pharmacy you need to start injections here and everything was just it was it was crazy it was thrown at us and they were you know our doctor is 45 50 minutes away from us so mm. it was for a minute we were driving weekly multiple times multiple a week. times a week over there for um, you know, fun invasive vaginal exams and, oh, you know, yeah. stuff like that to make sure everything was doing what it was supposed to do. But yes, we went in to meet with them. They gave us our schedule. They gave us everything we did, um, you know, cause we have been gone for almost a month. So we did another round of checking everything, make sure Mike went through his final, like your absolutely varsity swim team material kind of a thing. You know, <laughs> we don't have to worry about Yay! you. Yay. <laughs> and End of August, August, middle of September, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we started injections and they, you, so the, it's again, ironic. They put you on birth control at the beginning of the right. month. And that is in order to line you up with everybody else. So, you know, they organize you like, I joke that they organize you like a bunch of chickens coming to roost. <laughs> like they, you know, they, uh -huh. they want everybody to hatch at the same time. Mm -hmm. They want all the eggs out at the same time. Mm -hmm. So 
they put you on birth control and then they give you this calendar and you switch from birth control to um these very specific meds that work for your body because mm-hmm. they want your menstrual cycle and everything to like be where it's supposed to be when and so um so there's a calendar of of all these shots that she right. had to get and i think we found out on a thursday what that calendar said and what meds we needed and we have to have the meds starting on sunday mm-hmm. and there's only so many places that carry fertility meds mm-hmm. yes. so it was a walgreens and i think it's still i know it i think it's the one off of manchester in st yeah. louis and or i could go through my insurance and get it overnighted from a pharmacy in florida and i i had assumed insurance is cheaper so i called the pharmacy in florida and ordered all the meds and they gave me the the price and it was like four thousand two hundred dollars just for these injections holy cow just for the meds it's kind of weird because you're already in this mentality that's like okay which account are we gonna pull from you know what i mean like you're already there like it doesn't get a credit card it wasn't even a thought like we were like we're good you can't turn back now so i gave them the credit card information they were going to ship them out and i I got to thinking later on that day i was like you know how do people go through this without insurance yeah so i said i'm going to call that walgreens and just say hey this is what i have if i didn't have insurance what would this cost and walgreens was super helpful they had all kinds of programs for people going through infertility this very specific walgreens they had different plans where it was this much off of this and this much off of that and it ended up coming out to like thirteen hundred dollars Oh my gosh. So we they, saved yeah. we saved just under three thousand dollars by switching to non-insurance pharmaceuticals versus insurance. And it's not like you can get a knockoff or anything else. It has to be the exact right. brand of medicine. So and I had to call the pharmacy in Florida, stop it right away because it was yeah. gonna be shipped as soon as possible, stop the payment, go to Walgreens and get it the, the same night. Yeah. Got the meds, got them home. You have to refrigerate a lot of them. You have to like get them out. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to stop you just for a second. Okay. For the listeners, check different sources for all of that medication. Because that's a huge savings. Mm -hmm. Don't just, because you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to do this, get the credit card out and just pay what your first, what you think is going to be right. Check different things. Ask your doctors, ask the okay. nurses in the offices ask your insurance ask walgreens cvs anywhere your local pharmacy that you're comfortable with ask the questions because like the worst thing they can say is no we don't deal in infertility okay. pharmaceuticals because a lot of places places won't because they're so time sensitive yeah. and there's not you know what i mean like if you're not in an area where it's very dense and in infertility clinics so i don't think a lot of them offer them because they're very very expensive right so but like for us in the st louis area if you have listeners there the walgreens on manchester and st louis is phenomenal and they will give you all the information that you need to get what you need and i've heard that here in st louis before mm-hmm. somebody you know driving over to st louis because they needed um yeah the medication the drug right away mm-hmm. Um, and then driving back yep. so that they can make sure that they stayed on their schedule. Mm-hmm. So good to know. And we good did just know. go through this with a friend. Just make sure that if you are, if this is you and you are getting this calendar with all of the stuff on it, that it is time sensitive. So get the information as fast as you possibly can. Make those calls at 8 a.m. when they open and figure out what you need to do because 
you know, draining your account's not always the best option. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we haven't even talked about, you know, going through the injections and all of that in depth, but yeah, uh, many women, you know, at the ball game, giving mm -hmm. themselves an injection or, you know, at work giving themselves an because it is time sensitive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you ended up, you saved some money and you yep. got all the medication Yeah. and you started the process. We took it home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so when we got it, you know, we got it home and we got it all organized and they give you this calendar and you start at this very specific time and day and you have to be very, very, very consistent with it. So like the next two weeks of our lives were totally organized around when we could be home to do these injections because they're, again, they're refrigerated and you can't be transporting them and letting them warm up and cool down. Mm -hmm. And, um, so unless you're packing a whole cooler, right. And you know what I mean? You're not, you're going to make sure that that baby doesn't get warm, then you can't. You have, you have to be home for it. Um, I don't have a problem with needles. Giving myself injections was not like a huge okay. deal at all. It did not bother me at all. But big guy here was very <laughs> bothered by it. it sounds like um, my husband. Yeah. Okay. I was it's okay. Listen, I am so fortunate because Mike did not miss one appointment. He did not ever. Yeah. I never, ever have been to an appointment. Even... Through infertility and pregnancy, I've never been to an appointment without him ever. Wow. He's never missed one. So like, you know, these, um, but these needles had him a little, a little messed up. Like, <laughs> um, he okay. did do the mixing for me and the drawing, but when I had to like inject it, he had to leave. Like he was like, you good? You're good. I gotta go. <laughs> well, that's okay because, you know, you said the big guy here. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to pick him up off the floor. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> So I'd always make sure that it was all the all the measurements were right and everything's ready to go. And she'd sit there at the alcohol swab and get things ready to go and then she she'd take care of it injecting it. We have had other friends though that have went through it and the guys are always like, Yeah, I gotta stick my wife tonight and I'm like, Oh not me. Like, I'm out. I, I skipped that part of the fun, but um because some some of our friends, the ladies were the ones that were afraid of needles and the sure. the husband was the one that did that had to do it. And then we'd have friends where both of them are freaked out. And I'm like, just call me at nine 30 when you're ready and I'll come over and stick you and leave. Like, yeah, no I've big heard deal that too. Mm -hmm. People go to a friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. Oh. Yeah. Just a little bruising kind of make, you know, makes your abdomen a little tender. And even yeah. through the, through that medication, you're still in the doctor's office once a week for exams. Oh yeah. At least. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because very... so the calendar leads you up to egg retrieval. So the all the meds that you're taking are right. to get your eggs ready to be taken out. Okay. And you're at that. So how many eggs were they able to retrieve? Um, so like I said, I I have very severe PCOS. And so the way that my PCOS works, I don't know if this is true for everybody. So I'm going to say for mine, yeah. every cyst is a follicle. Every follicle is a potential egg. So we're talking like 40 to 50 cysts on one ovary, 30, 25, 30 on the other ovary. Um, the meds help to calm that down a little bit. There's a few less during retrieval. Yes, because they, they really like the ones that are going to be eggs become, you know what I mean? Um, but... So we went to egg retrieval and I think they pulled something like 22. I think it was 13 off one ovary and seven or eight off the other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So That's quite a few. Yeah. Egg retrieval was a was another story inside of itself. Yeah. It was go ahead. Yes. So Cassie had to go in and again I was right there with her for the appointment. So we went back and during egg retrieval they had to do some anesthesia. Keeping in mind Cassie does not do well with anesthesia. And oh, it was, it was very light anesthesia, so she was still <laughs> awake. She just didn't really know it. And so they, we went back to the back room, and they had to give her another shot, too. And she didn't really like that one. Um, it was a very large needle. Then they went to, to some anesthesia. And when she came back from the room where they did the retrieval, the doctor's like, you were a good chicken. <laughs> and I was like, why is the doctor telling us she's a good chicken? And so I asked him, and he's like, the whole time she just kept saying i'm a good chicken and <laughs> she's laying these eggs and the whole office was laughing oh my she's goodness. quite the character um so as we're leaving there she keeps talking about how she's a chicken we did get... you get that on video for youtube for all no oh, sorry no. i was gonna let the audience know where to go for that <laughs> No, but it was very. We've all seen those videos. Yeah. Thank God he doesn't do that. Okay. Stuff. It was very interesting. So she got in the car and we're on our way home. And then it became a waiting game because wow. even though they got 22 or 23 eggs, they didn't know how many would last the test of time, right. which I believe was like five to seven days. They would know then how many uh, matured to be um, usable embryos. embryos. Mm -hmm. Fertilized. <laughs> So we we got Cassie in the car, the good chicken that she was, <laughs> got her in the car, and we started to head home. And then we knew that we just had a, a time to wait. Um, they did say that Cassie would be sore for a day or so, and then everything would be fine. Um, that wasn't true. That ended up not being true. So yeah, um, what what we think happened was we think that I hyperstimulated, uh, um, which okay. is a side effect of just going through all the intense pharmaceutical treatment and egg retrieval um but i couldn't lay flat for like four days and i was like crawling to the bathroom oh my goodness and i was pretty much recliner bound <laughs> mike was like i will get you anything you want if you promise to just eat it like if you just promise to eat i'll get you whatever you want because i couldn't eat i couldn't you know i was mm. just i think i got bright till three or four days in a row yeah yeah <laughs> they knew my order when i called <laughs> well that was good yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, so then you waited. Then we waited, and we knew that we had, we had a couple, a couple days to, uh, of just anxiety. Anxiety. Would would any of the eggs or, or embryos, embryos develop and stay strong enough to use? Okay. Because that's the it either worked or it didn't work, right. and mm -hmm. the anxiety of what happens next. If and it I, didn't work, what are we going to do? She's sick as a dog on the couch saying she's never going to go through this again. Mm -hmm. um, that was true. I was never doing it again. And so we had this one shot and we're waiting to see if anything held. And at this time we ended up over at our, we were over at our family's house for a little gathering um, and randomly got the call on a Saturday afternoon with the results. Yeah, we were at a Christmas party. And I was telling the chicken story on the couch. Like I was joking around telling the story and my phone rings and they were, you know, like I freaked out, like all the color dropped out of my face because I knew who it was. And they were mm -hmm. like, okay, everybody be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Like they got the whole room to be quiet. And I answered the phone and they were like, okay, well you have 
was like seven grade A embryos and like that had made it all the way through and that looked absolutely perfect and beautiful. Like, so they were, they were top of the line awesome embryos and they were ready for transfer. So then. And one thing now, I don't think they do as much fresh embryo transfer no. as mm-hmm. they do the frozen embryo right. transfer. That's what I've heard. Yes. But when we went through, it they, was the it was the fresh embryos. Okay. However, we went through, we both went through blood draws to make sure we didn't have any precursors for, for other things. So, okay. you know what I mean? Like we were, Genetic we were fine mm-hmm. candidates okay. for, yeah, for a fresh transfer. Okay. So when we went through, it was a fresh transfer. So we decided that we would freeze five and transfer two. Okay. And our this- initial thought was if we transfer two, hopefully one will. Okay. Yeah. Mature one will stick and we'll have one child. Yeah. Did you make that decision or did the facility make that decision? No, they recommended two. Okay. Because okay. of because it seems like they're different facilities, different uh at, utility do different numbers. It seems the, like now most of it's two. Yeah. At the time they recommend two. I think even right now, some of our friends that have gone through, they're now even recommending one. Oh. Because yeah. the strength of the embryos and all the testing that they're it's able to do is stronger and it's better. Okay. Your age, your genetic screening before you do all of this, the your germans. yeah, the grade of okay. your embryos all factors in. So like okay. we were told we just couldn't get pregnant. You know what I mean? But we didn't know what our risk of loss was. So okay. he was like with a fresh transfer, they're a little riskier than a frozen transfer because you're not weeding out your weak embryos genetically. Okay. You're just going for it. You know, we didn't know anything about these embryos. All we knew was that they matured perfectly and they looked great under a microscope. They mm-hmm. don't, we didn't send them off for testing or do any of that. So he was like, you can transfer two and I would be comfortable with that. And we were like, well, we're not doing anything more than that because we just want one. We're just, just trying to get pregnant with one person. <laughs> like, yeah. We just want one fetus. So we took our two strongest ones <laughs> and we went to transfer it. Yep. And it was really, it was kind of cool because after all of this, um, you know, it's, they don't put you under or anything. We sat there and watched me get pregnant. Like they use it like a catheter and then they put the little screen next to me right there. And I just watched the little, watched him go in the little squiggle in the, in the catheter. And I watched myself get pregnant. Wow. It was very, very cool. That is cool. That is cool. And then we hit our next hurry up and wait. Yeah, yes. then it was so like now it's yeah. let's let's wait. I think it was did you 10 wait? days? <laughs> I think it was ten days we had to wait, and then she had to go in for a blood draw to see if she was pregnant mm-hmm. to check your HCG levels. And did you wait? Because a lot of women so do the pregnancy test. They I tried. Can't wait. And Mike was like, "If you go into the store and come out with a pregnancy test, I'm putting it in the trash can." Because he was like, "If you're pregnant and that comes out negative, you're going to send yourself into a." total meltdown so we're not doing that okay no at-home pregnancy test for you yes he put a kibosh on the at-home pregnancy test (laughs) so i've never i have two kids and i've never taken a positive pregnancy test at home okay but um we did we went in for our blood draw after 10 days and at at the um at this blood draw they're literally just looking at hcg levels Mm -hmm. like and making sure that your blood glucose was fine um but they so we went home. They said, put your feet up as much as you can. Try to keep everything regular. In this 10 days, my girlfriends and I, 
we live in Belleville. We drove to Edwardsville to Wang Gang for dinner. Uh-huh. Because they were like, you need a little little joy. I'm like, Wang Gang is my favorite place to eat. So, and on, while we were at the restaurant, I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. Oh, no. And I was like, I walked out of the restroom and I walked to my friends and I was like, I think I'm losing these babies. Like, I think I'm losing these. Like, I think I'm, I like started freaking out. I was panicking. I called Mike. I was hysterical in the car. And I'm, I'm a volunteer firefighter and I was on a, on a fatal car accident scene, which is traumatic in itself. And then she calls me at the news that she's bleeding. She thinks she's losing her babies or baby. She thought it was just one. And I'm like, uh, I just kind of froze. I didn't know what to do. So I did the only thing we could do. And that was call my sister Mm -hmm. who works for the fertility doctor and who has been through it. And she kind of put everything at a little bit more. She gave us a very positive spin, but like really what she was saying was the only thing you can do is come in in the next four, like come in in four days because we were on like day six and Mm -hmm. see if you're pregnant. But she said some spotting was normal. And you know what I mean? So like there wasn't anything catastrophic happening. It was spotting. It was true blue spotting. And so I was like, oh my God, that's the only thing making me feel any better. You know what I mean? Because I was losing my mind. Like I thought for sure that something happened and this was over. You know what I mean? Because I was not doing that agro triple again. And we only had so many more tries left. Right. So around Um, day seven though, the the blood test came back and it was. No, day 12. I thought it was seven, the blood test came back, and then we went in we on went, like day 10 or 12. We, we had the blood, blood test results. At 10 days. Okay. Right? And then a couple days after that, we got blood test results, and they were they called, and they said, you are super pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? Her number's and, like more than doubled what they should have been. What they should have been. Like, they want to see your number doubled. Ours tripled or quadrupled. And, like, And my, from what I know, that means multiples yeah <laughs> okay so, yeah and we had no idea at the time we just thought oh right. well, she's really we were pregnant. like sweet they're in there they're comfortable they're warm and attached we're golden it, yeah. it, it is you in just there. thought still what you yeah didn't know. we were like we're just pregnant we're yeah. good so then like you live your best life nothing happened no spotting it was beautiful i didn't get any morning sickness like you literally would have no idea i was pregnant Lucky until i started you. bumping yeah um then at 10 weeks, 10 weeks was our next blood draw. We went in and saw um, our doctor a few more times for just to check. Like, I think at eight weeks, we heard the heartbeat. Was it eight or 10 weeks? Was it 10 weeks? I think it was eight weeks. Eight weeks. One of those two. Eight or 10 yeah, weeks. Probably. We don't remember. Might have been 10. Um, yeah. Um, we go in and like they just check for that flicker. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, he was doing all that and I don't know what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. (laughs) He's just like, okay, yep. There's the heartbeat. And like, we're like, great. Awesome. Like our, our little, our little bubble has a flicker. We're excellent. You know what I mean? We're still pregnant. And I sit up and Mike is sitting in a chair on the, you know, in the room, but, uh, like maybe like four feet away from me and our doctor goes all right they look awesome and I I was like what did you just say and he said they look awesome yeah I said you mean like me and the baby we we look awesome and he was like no Cass they you're having two babies (laughs) and I like almost fell off the table because I hadn't considered multiples at the time like I was Mm. like 
what? And I look at him and he lost all of his color. Like every, every <laughs> everything ran out of his face. And he was like, we're going to need you to say that like 12 more times in very plain English. Like we're having multiples. And so we, um, we did know it was just the two. And apparent, and I guess he could tell that they hadn't split. So like it was the two that we transferred were the two that we were pregnant okay. with. Okay. Because when you have when you transfer two embryos, really you can have up to four kids because yeah. each one can split. And so we verified. Least, yeah. yeah. Well, it could be six, but yeah, I guess it could be six. Yeah, each could produce. Yeah. But we since we had two, you know, um, but he was like, no, those are the two, and they they're in there and no they're not splitting off of each other kind of a thing so mm-hmm. you're good like you're just gonna have twins <laughs> like okay wow. let's do this that's exciting yep so everybody was told right away or did we wait to tell the family that there were twins oh we didn't we wait told. yeah we, okay. told <laughs> we told all of our all of our close friends family and our um job um, where we work because they were very supportive along the way Good. and we wanted to keep them up to date as much as possible because again we both work for the same co-op so yeah when you have two people missing work as much as we did to make appointments um, it's good to let them keep them up to date as much as we could along the way well and at the time I was working in a classroom full of kids of autism and the this particular classroom had some students with severe aggression okay and so my paras like I just had to be like I'm going to be like over here while that's going on. Like, I'm still here if you need me, but they're like, Oh no. So they, you know what I mean? They built a wall between me and the aggression in the classroom. So that was important too. So when was your due date? Because we wanted it to be in the summer. Yeah. April 16th. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which would have worked out perfectly because <laughs> eight weeks and then she'd rolled right in the summer break. Yep. Yeah. And so we went along beautifully um, we got discharged from our fertility specialist at 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you have to go start seeing your OB now, which was heartbreaking because I absolutely love yeah, our fertility doctor. Yeah. Um, but we have a phenomenal OB at Mercy. Um, and I love him and I'll, you know what I mean? I'll be with his practice until he's no longer practicing, but. Who also uh, delivered who, my niece and nephew. Okay. Yeah. Nine years before. So oh. everything was kind of. Yeah. Cool. So like, good relationship. Yeah. Jen and I got pregnant from the same doctor and then our same doctor delivered our babies. And ironically, the same nurse discharged our kids from the hospital. Wow. It was very weird. Um, but so. So I, you said April would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. So what happened? So at 29 weeks. Everything was great. Everything was fine. We took the day off and we had a, a, not 29 weeks, I'm sorry, 26, 26 weeks. We, um, we took the day off. We were going over for an appointment and because of the way the girls were positioned in utero, we had to start seeing a maternal fetal medicine team. Okay. Um, we went in for an anatomy screening. They got really scary really fast because Lydia wasn't participating um, she was in like down towards my pelvis and in the fetal position and didn't, uh, what? when we started the day, she had a regular OB appointment okay. in the morning, in the morning. Mm-hmm. I had had a sleep study the night before to get tested for sleep apnea. Oh. 
got off at that at six o'clock in the morning. And then at eight o'clock, we're driving to Mercy to see her OB. The OB just went over the basics and started going over, um, just making sure that we were doing everything that we needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, taking the the prenatals. prenatals and just going over everything else. Sure. And then said that she had to go to um, the MFM, the Maternal Female Medicine Group in the afternoon for the ultrasound because they had trouble seeing twins with their technology and MFM had better technology to see that. Okay. Um, but one thing that stood out at that appointment was her blood pressure was a little bit elevated. Okay. And he didn't, he wasn't concerned about it, but he's like, Hey, when you're there this afternoon, I'm going to put in here that I want them to check your blood pressure just to see if it goes down at all throughout the day. So we like left and had lunch and went to bye bye baby. And like, you know, we had like four hours between appointments. So we just went and, you know, did what anybody else who was pregnant do and go spend money and <laughs> on the babies. On the babies. Yeah. And then grandma was with us too. My mom was with us for that Let appointment. Her her money. Yeah. So she spent her money too. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. And um, we went to the maternal fetal medicine team uh, in the afternoon and they did the ultrasound. And I'm telling you, like, they had to tip me on my head and stuff because mm. this baby, was, Lydia, was not participatory. Like, that is her personality 100% even now. But, like, she just was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not having it. They were like, well, we see half of her organs. And I'm like, mm. are you telling me I only have half of a child? Like, what do you – I don't speak ultrasound technician, so – yeah. You know, this team had some acrobatics that they that we did so that they could see her, but she was totally fine. Um, so they checked my blood pressure at this appointment and in the afternoon, and they were like, "Okay." It kind of set off an alarm with the nurses yeah. that gave it to her, and we weren't really sure what was going on. And so they're like, "We have to like, go get a doctor real quick to explain stuff yeah. to you." <laughs> change the cuff, change the machine, take it by hand, do what you got to do. But that's not that's not right. There's no way. So like I made them take take my blood pressure like eight times, and they were finally like, "We're we're going to get the doctor." And so the doctor came in. He took your blood pressure. He took my blood pressure. His like he took it. You know uh -huh. what I mean? He didn't rely on a machine or anything. And these nurses were phenomenal. They were doing everything that I asked them to do to make sure that everything was you know that they yeah. there was nothing wrong with the with the equipment. Um, but he came in and he was like, "Okay." Um, He asked her, he said, he said, where do you work? Yeah. And, and I she said, said, I'm a teacher. I, I teach students with special needs. And he said, not anymore. And we both kind of looked at each other like, what? how's this doctor saying you're not going to teach anymore? Like, what is, what is, and we're like, please explain. And he's like, she's not going home. And so I, I literally said, Look, you don't understand. Mm, we're both she's, teachers. I said, she's taking her butt back to work. And I didn't <laughs> use that word. But I'm sitting here telling this doctor, I was like, no, she's going back to work tomorrow. Like, we have bills to pay. We have everything set up to where if she delivers on April 16th and it rolls in, it's going to be perfect. And our finances <laughs> like are all set up. And so I'm telling this doctor how things are going to work. This is finding January out. 8th, by the way. Ooh. Yeah, so this is very early. And... He said, no, she's not going back to work. And you guys are going down to, I believe it was like the admissions for labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. and yeah, they sent me to the L&D floor um, like that right then. Because right, right. he was like, listen, if I if you go to L&D today and we can't get your blood pressure down, you're delivering these babies today. Mm. And we were like.
like, what? Like, you know, then, then we can't even think. Then Mike goes straight into panic mode and he's calling our bosses and he's trying to explain everything and trying to get things lined up. He's getting his parents on the phone. My mom was already with us, so we didn't have to do that. My parents are getting ready to leave the country for yeah two months. His parents cruised through the winter. So, and this was not part of the plan. No, no, uh -uh. no it absolutely was not. We had to I buy cell phone it. chargers at the, at the gift <laughs> shop at the hospital because we didn't have anything we had. And so then things got really serious mm -hmm. because they literally gave me a choice or us a choice. You a choice. And they said, if we can only save one of them, well, who do you want? Oh, so one meeting Cassie or, Cassie one or the kids, the babies. Okay. Not one or the yeah. other or the babies, either Cassie or the babies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. That's a hard decision to make, but if I was in that position, I know what I would choose, but yeah. And you probably made the right decision there, but it didn't matter. Yeah. You that didn't matter. So I, we had to make the decision. The decision was made and which was, which was to save Cassie mm -hmm. um, because of everything we had went through, the babies being born at 26 weeks, nothing was guaranteed that they would be born without problems. True. True. Mm -hmm. um, so she had to do a lot of different tests. Everything came back. Everything got better. And they figured out how to calm everything they down. They figured out how to calm everything down. That's what he means by it got better. It didn't get better because she ended up having to be admitted to the hospital and to antepartum for the rest of her time a until month. the kids were born. So you were there a month. Yeah, we were there. So January 8th to February 2nd. Okay. Like three on, and a half weeks. On bed rest. On bed rest. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite an experience. We had to buy phone chargers and a friend of ours at the time, one of our best friends lived with us. And so we're the nurses wheeling me to antepartum. They, so they took me down to this, to L and D and they got everything kind of like figured Stay out down. that they could get everything stabilized. So then they took me to Anapartum, okay. which is where I could live for a little while yeah. and not be delivered. And it's um, not beautiful there, but they have some pretty nice things there. Oh, I it mean, was beautiful. My, yeah. My we, daughter was there and like she could get a massage. She could do all of these things while she was there. And I'm like, this is a sweet deal here. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot going on, Yep. but there are some, things that yeah, they the time, do, which I had no idea that they would could even do mm -hmm. all that. But. Yeah. And at the time we didn't know why we were there. We, we knew medically Waiting, scientifically yeah. why, but Cassie felt fine. Yeah. She felt perfect. She, they had to literally be like, look, you have to stay in your bed for like, a little bit. I was just a little bit lightheaded and my feet were swollen, but that was typical yeah. pregnancy kind of things. Cause at 26 weeks they measured me and I was measuring at 40 weeks. So physically I was as big as I would have ever gotten with one baby. Oh wow. And I was only halfway through my pregnancy. So like, but he was like, you're carrying beautifully. You know what I mean? If I sat down with a sweatshirt on, you'd never know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're doing, you know, everything's going great, but this is a problem. When was it just the blood pressure kept spiking? Yeah. That was mm -hmm. what was going on. Yes. Okay. So um, what they which is risk, very risky. Preeclampsia. Preeclampsia. Okay. Severe. And so finally, well, the doctor do explained it the best. Just mildly. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's no, all we're swinging for the fences yeah. all the time. Yeah. Okay. And the doctor finally explained it to us as she is fine until she's not. And then she delivers. And they said, because you have twins, if she goes home, 
and she becomes that is not, then you're going to have to go to a hospital local to Illinois. Right. Who doesn't have the NICUs and have the teams right. ready for all that. So then they're going to have a flyer. So then he and it'd be much more traumatic. This. And then it was like. Our doctor okay. gives us all this and then he leaves the room. You know, because uh-huh. they're real graceful in their delivery system sometimes. And so Mike and I, I'm like, okay, so now it's officially a Stockholm syndrome situation because like, then he comes in and he was like, okay, so we figured out that if you're on labetalol and you're on this and you're on that and the other thing, then you're good. Like, you know, your blood pressure is normal. If we can send you home to monitor it. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Like now you've set this, this chain of events off. And so if you send me home, I'm walking to mercy. I'm not delivering in Belleville or mm-hmm. O'Fallon or... Yeah wherever I am only delivering here. And he goes, so if, if I go into labor and an ambulance has to bring me to a hospital and they take me to Belleville, I am not getting out of the truck. And he was like, okay, sounds like you're staying here. Cause like yeah. there was absolute yeah. cause for me to stay, but he could have made it so that I could have gone home if that's what I wanted to do. Sure. Um, but then we were, so I was like, we're staying. I'm not leaving. Like I want my babies in the best place possible. Mm-hmm. If they have to be here early, they need to be where they can be cared for. And mm-hmm. Belleville just wasn't that place. Mercy was. Yeah. So one of the stories that you were almost getting to was when she first had to be put into anapartum. We didn't have anything because we had, oh, we had right. just found out that day. So I call up one of my friends as the nurse is pushing her in a wheelchair. And I was like, Hey, well, it was nighttime. And it was nighttime. It was like, like eight o'clock at night closing down and we're going down this corridor and you know, like the hallways are really long when you're, when you're going from one building to the other. And so she's pushing and Mike's on the phone and he's like, okay, this is in her, whatever drawer, this is in her, whatever drawer. And then he said the name hat and she goes, do you have a guy at home in your underwear drawer? <laughs> I said, yeah, we'll just see what we get, won't we? And she, she was like, those are some good friends. Because we had one guy friend packing my bag and another guy friend picking our stuff up and bringing it to us. Oh, and so, my gosh. Us. Us. My stuff, too. Yeah. So those through are it all, good friends. Through yes, it all, I are. did not sleep at home either. I slept on the couch in her anapartum room oh every gosh. night. And commuted 55 minutes to work every day. Like, I'm telling you, I've got a great A husband. Like, yes, you do. I and any day that there was a test or a ultrasound or anything like that, I took off. You were there. Mm-hmm. I was there. I just, I went to work on days when there was nothing planned. But awesome. having that time in anapartum, though, allowed us to take some of the classes that we wanted to take yeah. um, at the hospital. And we met a lot of great nurses. Yeah, the nurses became like our family. They well, and all the NICU classes, well, just classes to let you know what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the NICU because that was probably inevitable that they were going to end up in mm-hmm. the NICU there. Mm-hmm. Which is Mercy has a great they do NICU. Mm-hmm. So did they do um, steroids and stuff stuff for the babies because you were kind of you know on and off whether you're going to deliver. So did they do the steroids to develop the lungs? Yeah. Get the babies really ready. Yeah. So those have a, um, I don't want to call it a shelf life, but they have like a desired weak point. Like you want to, you want to get to a certain point before you get those steroids. Ideally, you know, they can give them to you earlier, but Uh they want, they were like, you're well on your way to getting to this point. So we're going to try and get you to this point before we give these to you. But yes, we were fortunate enough that um, the, there's steroids for their neurological growth and mm-hmm. for their upper respiratory systems. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was able to go through all three phases for both of those, which was nice. So they did have that going for them. The one, um, the one really funny story, which is why he's looking at me like that is, um, when we were getting, we got to like 28 and a half ish weeks and they were like, okay, things are kind of, you know, like your, your regular is becoming a little higher than it, it was, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. They started prepping us because it was January. So um, they said, if you want any interaction with your babies and if anybody else wants to interact with your babies or with the NICU in general, they have to have a whooping cough um, Mm. vaccination. Yeah. So like my best friend went and got a whooping cough vaccination right away. Sure. All of our family went and got a whooping cough vaccination right away. Um, Our nieces and nephews got stuck. Like they, everybody, everybody was like, oh, no problem. I'll go do that. You know, yeah. and they're paying for it out of pocket. It was just, we have a great support system. Um, but they, so we're sitting there in this hospital bed and I didn't have to have it. I couldn't get it while I was pregnant. I had to wait till I wasn't pregnant <clears throat> to get it. But the day that Mike got it, I mean, look, he's a big guy. Okay. So he, but he doesn't like needles, but he doesn't like needles. Poor, poor thing. So he's sitting there in the hospital room and he's got like this teeny tiny hole from getting this whooping cough vaccine. She's got a band-aid on it. It's a whole very dramatic thing. They're sore. On the same same day, I'm laying in the hospital bed and they're doing the last round of the upper respiratory um, steroids. And this one, this needle was like a hose. Like it was huge. Mm. And this one in particular happened to be very dull. So it like bounced in. Like they had to like mm. push really, really hard. So I'm bleeding all over the bed. Mm. Like they're trying to get this injection to go. And like it's a disaster. It, they did it in my in my backside. And like so I've got immediately this bruise and well. Oh and gosh. like it's a disaster and I get all like rolled and I'm not bothered by it. Like it's fine. I get all rolled over and Mike goes, God, my arm really hurts. (laughs) I was like, does it, does it? I literally have a hole in my butt cheek right now. Does your arm hurt you right now? Like, you know, just funny. He just needed a little sympathy. A little sympathy. I'm bleeding out all over the place, but. Yes, your whooping cough shot looks terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, so you gave Mike a little sympathy. <laughs> for, for I didn't call him that. Really, I going... gave him the eyes a few times. And like, like, you got to be together, big boy. Yeah, <laughs> get it together. Because I literally have more holes in me than a strainer right now. <laughs> so you had went through all of you needed to go through, what did you call them? For the vaccines, yeah. So that the babies, I call them vaccines. They're steroids. Yeah, steroids. So that mm-hmm. the babies would be they just development it would be better. Just better. gave them a competitive edge. Yes. It didn't. It wasn't okay. really like a guaranteed. Okay. This is going to save them. Kind of a situation. It's just going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully. So then you waited still, and so yeah. So twenty nine mm-hmm. weeks and two days. No, twenty nine. Around twenty eight weeks. End of twenty eight weeks. Twenty eight weeks. We were we had friends come over like pretty frequently. We'd play games at the hospital. Nice. Again, I never really left her side except to go to work on days when there was no procedures. Um, I slept on a hospital couch throughout the the whole term. Um, but around twenty eight weeks, we we hit a little uh, a little more trauma to our story. Um, this I whole had, time. 
um, unfortunately, Mike's uncle was suffering from brain cancer. Mm. Um, and there really, there came a point where I wasn't allowed to visit him anymore because he was having radiation treatment and you can't be pregnant around radiation. Mm. So, um, when I had, before I had even been admitted to the hospital, we kind of went and like, I visited him before he started radiation. Um, but then after that, we weren't allowed to be collectively. They recommended that neither one of us visit him in person. Mm Mm-hmm. So one night, a couple, I guess it was about a week or so out um, from when the kids would end up uh, making their appearance, uh, I got a phone call at about midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was like 1.30, 2 o'clock, somewhere in there. And I was asleep. I didn't really know what was going on. And I had got word that one of my good friends uh, passed away due to suicide. Mm-hmm. So I woke Cassie up, let her know. She said, Go. So I knew then that I had to go be with my friends uh, with the fire department. And that was the only night that I didn't sleep at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went and did that. I had a couple days there where I had to be uh, supportive to other friends of mine that we're all going through stuff together. Um, Cassie at the same time is like, hey, you have to take care of them now. I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to be here until I'm so it's not okay, and then I'm going to deliver, so just keep your phone on. But, like, we made all the nurses promise that if anything went bad with me, that he would have the 45 minutes to get back to the hospital. And they were like, we can guarantee you two hours. So good. once the decision's made, you have got a couple hours to get him back here. And I was like, okay, good. Then I'm good until you're until you need to get back here. So just go do what you got to do. So then two days after that, I got a phone call, and my uncle had passed away. Oh, my gosh. So this is all in the same week. Um, that toward the end of that week, I had to attend two wakes one night, a funeral the next day. And at the whole time I expressed to both families that, Hey, um, I have to leave my phone on. If I get a phone call, I have to leave. Um, so luckily everything, the cards played right for us through that. And I didn't get any phone calls, but ended up back at the hospital then. And the following week would tell a different story. Yeah, we hit 29 weeks in two days. And that evening, um, we had a couple friends at the hospital just having dinner and stuff with us. And I got a little bit of a headache. And they, you know what I mean? They're like, every morning they come in, do you have a headache? Do you have chest pain? Do you have this laundry list of stuff? And it was always no. Well, I got a headache. So we went back to the room and like they turned the lights off. The nurses all like went into meltdown mode. Like it was very serious. They started taking my blood pressure and, um, Katie, uh, one of our nurses woke me up every 35 minutes that night to check my blood pressure, check it, medicate, check it, medicate. If we could, you know what I mean? She was trying Uh everything that she could think of. And we, our doctors went, came in and came through and, um, they were doing everything they could. And at like six o'clock in the morning when they did rounds, um, Katie came in with our maternal fetal medicine specialist and he was like, okay. And, the intern. and, and Shakira who, um, I'm going to get a little talking about her. I love her. She was our resident the whole time that we were on in and she was, she took on most of our care. Mm-hmm. Um, she came in and she like, she just had this look on her face that was like, this isn't going to be good. And Kira and I had spent a lot of time together because like I said, Lydia's 
a monster to monitor. And so mm-hmm. they had to monitor their hearts every day for so long. And Lydia always exacerbated the situation and made it last so much longer until they needed a resident and a nurse couldn't do it. Um, so Kira came in and I knew right away that like, this was not going to be good. Um, something's changed. Yeah. Something's bad wrong. And she was like, okay. All that could go through our head was you're okay till you're not, then you deliver. Right. Yeah. So we and, knew what was happening. <laughs> right. Okay. And so she was like, we can't get you down from 171 over 111, which is where my blood pressure was when on medication. Mm-hmm. So she's like, if you had been home and not medicated, you would have already had a stroke and we may have already lost you and the kids. So Ooh. this is where we're at. If you don't deliver now, we could potentially lose you trying to save them later. And so um, I think they deemed it a crash C-section because it happened within like four hours of the decision being made. So the doctor and Kira said, um, you can get, you're allowed to get out of bed to take a hot shower because you probably won't have one for a couple days and eat a meal and um, get whatever you want from, you know, like they had me order food and they were like, get whatever you want because you're probably not going to feel like it for a couple days. And then after that, you, your flexibility is going to be limited. So um, took a hot shower, had a meal. And then she came in a few more times and talked and to me. At that point, you still couldn't eat because now nerves were taking over. So you really right. didn't eat anyway. Yeah. So I did what they told me to do, though. I ordered the food. And uh, <laughs> it was there. Um, and um, so she came in with a couple of my other, like, absolute favorite nurses who had become family at this point. You know what I mean? They have sure. a regular schedule and I live there. So, yeah. yeah. And so we all got really close because, mm-hmm. you know. Hospital gowns will do that. They'll get you really close to people. <laughs> um, so they came in and like, first they came in and said, hey, um, so Dr. Jewel's going to be delivering. And I was like, I know I want Kira. And they were like, well, she's a resident. And I said, I don't care what she is. I want Kira to deliver the girl. She's been here the whole time. And so Kira and Jewel delivered them. Oh. And then... Um, Another one of our nurses came in and she had the catheter IV and she goes, okay, here's all the the stuff. I'm going to go get one of the nurses that knows how to do this. And I was like, you don't know how to do that? And she was like, well, I've never done one before. And I was like, well, no time like the present. Let's do this. And she was like, Cassie, I could mess this up and like have to do like both arms or poke you twice. And I was like, yeah, but it doesn't bother me. Like blood doesn't bother me. Needles don't bother me. So you might as well learn on somebody who it doesn't bother. (laughs) And she was like, because it was one of the big catheter IVs. So it was like a process and Uh it was kind of scary looking. And she was like, if you're sure. And I was like, I'm positive like go for it and she got on the first try so that was kind of exciting oh uh, yeah um and then the last time they came in they said that they had 26 interns that had never seen a twin c-section mm. a multiple c-section so they were asking if they could watch a couple of them could watch a couple of the 26 could watch and i was like sure heck the house why not <laughs> we already have like a resident and a doctor delivering and nobody else each... in st louis hadn't seen you naked at that right. <laughs> <laughs> nobody in st louis might as well might as well yeah well when you go through all of that yeah, yeah. The bashfulness was just out the window. I would like yeah. come out of the bathroom with nothing on. And Mike's like, if somebody walks in here, you don't have any clothes on right now. 
I was like, we'll just add them to the very short list of people who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> and he was like, will you please just go put your clothes on? And I was like, well, I was just coming out to do this. You know, like, no big deal. Uh, but, yeah. So they ended up, the next scary part was the doctor came in, though, and started giving us all the statistics of 29 weeks in three days and what percent the kids could come out with disabilities, what the survival rate was, what it, what percent would be innovated and what percent and what are absolute, everything yeah. like the worst case scenario. And that the was kind of, of a things gut that check. we'll absolutely deal with and the list of things we could potentially deal with and the list of things that we'll may eventually have to have a conversation about. So and the list was long. Then they started to walk us through, okay, this is what labor and delivery is going to look like. And at the time they're talking to you and it's kind of going in one ear out the other, like I'm going to live through it in about an hour. So let's just let's just do this. Get on with stop the show. talking to me and let's just do this. So then we get like, down to labor and delivery. They've got to do all that. Yeah, they've yeah. got to. They've got yeah, to. they have to prep you. So we get down to labor and delivery, and they start medicating you. And they gave me the epidural. epidural. And her mom got there, and her dad got there, and I was there, and they said it was go time. So we mm -hmm. went back, and we get back in the labor and delivery room, and there's probably about i would say every bit of close to 25 to 30 people in this room holy cow they had, kid had their own respiratory therapist their own NICU team oh wow they each had two nurses for each kid a doctor a neonatologist for each kid they each had their own team for each kid they had everybody that was in there for cassie and then they had all they these had, kids these people observing they had the interns that were watching <laughs> oh, they had gosh. All these, so this room is completely filled up, and I can remember that it was it was freezing, oh, and the medicine yeah. that Cassie had was making her shake really bad. Um, so, and they had they had given you a couple shots that morning to try to what was it the magnesium mm -hmm. mm. to try to help with development last minute, mm. yep. which can make you sick. Mm -hmm. um, so then it was go time, and the kids were born. Mm -hmm. On February second, twenty sixteen, at two thirty six and two thirty seven p.m. And then the next chapter would start in the story of trauma. Yeah. So they pulled it literally looked like they were pulling cats out. They would just grab onto. <laughs> I'm like gentle. That's my child. <laughs> and they're like ripping these kids out, and they put them. They weighed them. Did everything, and it was very interesting to see. They were making noise. They were making I, noise, I so we knew that was a them. good thing. Yeah. Um, but the color was different. Like, I didn't know what to expect, and it was the first time. And they're like, there's respiratory therapy. Everybody's there working on them. And they're like, are you going with us or staying with her? Ooh. And I was like, Decision. bye, Cass. Bye, Cass. <laughs> now I got to go with them. So I leave her there and go in with the kids. And they're going down these, like, special hallways that you've never seen in the hospital, which we had a pretty good idea of what the hospital layout was after, after being there for so long yeah that you did um but we had these secret elevators and all kinds of stuff and next thing i know we're in the nicu which mike secretly loves and that. they're in this room and i have a picture because they had me stand outside the room for a little bit and there's literally wall-to-wall -wall doctors and specialists and everything getting these kids hooked up well they and just know i guess really what's mm -hmm. what's going to happen here yeah, yeah they do that, it every day yeah they're you know very early and mm -hmm. uh got them get them Hooked up, really, yeah. to, to combat anything that's coming. 
So okay. after the C-section, they put me on a magnesium drip. And I, so I had to spend 24 hours outside the NICU. I wasn't allowed to be in the okay. NICU because I was on an IV. Um, so you did come down on the NICU that they, night for a short time. They wheeled me down after my C-section. They took me, like they attached everything to the bed and like wheeled me past the girl so I could see them, but I couldn't touch them or. And this she tells secondhand because she doesn't remember anything the three days after the kids were born. Because the of the medication. Uh, so she's like, what happened? Where did these, somebody brought her flowers. I'm like, where did these flowers come from? I was like, so I was having to piecemeal everything together from oh, what happened. Wow. So the kids were in their oscillates, isolates, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were doing as well as could be expected. Which sure. was moderately okay. Which was, yeah, which was okay. And the nurse said, you know, you really need to go get some rest. And at this point, I can't hardly sleep, but I was like, I'm going to go check on Cassie. I'll be back either in the morning or later, whatever. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. So I go up to Cassie's room. We had some friends in Cassie's room. Nobody else could go down and see the kids at this point just right, due to the severity. Right, right. Other than I think grandma saw them that night. Yeah, they only let grandmas in. It was only grandma. very weird. Yeah, yeah, they don't let grandmas um, or anybody else in. So we were allowed to choose two people, yeah. I think. So I went back to her room. A lot of our friends are there. Cassie's not even like with it. And I was like, all right, guys, we're going to have to call tonight. It's been a busy day. So I sit down, close my eyes in a recliner. This I do remember. And we get a knock on the door. And it wasn't a good knock. It was like a frantic knock. Mm. And I don't think it, the doctor was not trying to be frantic, but that's, but it's it alarmed not us. To. Yeah. And it was one of our neonatologists. And he knocks on the door and he comes in. And this is the only thing I remember from these three days. And I look over at Mike and Mike's kind of like with it, like scared. You know what I mean? He's got this look on his face that it's like, oh my God. And I, I looked at him and I was like, okay, what? Tell, just don't tell me that one of them is gone. Just tell me that they're okay. And he was like, well, okay, this is what we had to do. Lydia's. Lydia had a left side pneumo, which means her lung collapsed entirely. So she Mm. was only operating on one lung, which we found out was very weak anyway. Um, So we don't know anything about whether or not she was oxygen deprived or if there's going to be neurological deficits following this. But right now she's intubated and on a ventilator. Mm. And so, I mean, we're talking about a chicken breast. Lydia weighed two pounds, three ounces. Mm. And in the next couple days, she would dip under two pounds because that's what happens when you're on a ventilator. They can't gain weight as fast as they're losing it Mm. so um liddy was on a ventilator and they had put amelia on a cpap basically is what it ends up being if you're familiar with the cpap they're just forcing air in um and so they're i was like i can't i was like go you get out of here and don't leave my kid's side until you know that they're okay or until I can get there to tap you out. You don't go to the bathroom. You don't shower. You're not doing anything. You get there and you stay there. And he was like, don't, you don't want to tell me twice. So he ran out to be with them. And I came off the magnesium the next morning and um, they let me go in with him. But I still don't have those first couple of days. Yeah. So then I went down and there you have a two pound child that's innovated and it was, I mean, we have pictures still and it's, it's sad, but I literally pulled a recliner up between the two of them and literally stayed by their side. We, 
we did not sleep a night at home until the kids came home. Wow. So the month in the hospital that Cassie was in, and okay. then how long the were they there? Kids ended up being in for two months. February second okay. to March twenty ninth. And so I'm sure through that there was probably lots of ups and downs with their mm -hmm. care. Yeah. Um, which is which is I think pretty normal mm -hmm. that being born that early on. Uh, and you live day to day with different yeah. tests. It's mm -hmm. brain scans and heart yeah. scans and Amelia had a brain check bleed the hips and her and... septum dissolved and her bridge started breaking down and like you can't rebuild a septum even with plastic surgery. It's like a thing. So like mm. it was a whole, you know, they both had a whole laundry list of trials and tribulations, but they're gonna say, How are they now? Perfect. Beautiful, smart, they're in preschool kicking ass and taking names good and as much good. as we built bonds with the nurses in antepartum we built even bigger bonds with the nurses taking care of our kids yeah oh, and so yeah. we we had some nurse the nurse that we had the first night we made one of their primary doctors um and mm -hmm. we didn't find out until we were checking out that had literally she the not night checked before on we them, left the NICU had she not found that Lydia's lung collapse we would have lost her oh, wow. and it like was we like a matter of 30 minutes, minutes. Wow. And one of the more junior nurses happened to be working with this nurse that night. And the nurse, this nurse that saved Lydia was very seasoned and very, she's very good at her job. Mm -hmm. um, and the more junior nurse, we happened to have her the night before we graduated from the NICU and went home. And she was like, I've literally never, ever heard this person raise her voice the way she raised her voice to get somebody down here to innovate Lydia. She was like, I will never forget the sound of her voice because I was scared, serious, scared, oh, scared, yeah. scared because yeah. it was real. And yeah. she was like, we were probably 20 ish minutes from losing your daughter. Wow. And she's the only reason she's still here. Wow. That's miracle people in our mm -hmm. lives. And we still keep in touch with their NICU nurses awesome. with Cassie's antepartum nurses. Yeah. They would come to they. They won't probably not this year, but they've been coming to the girls' birthdays and stuff like yeah. that. We're awesome. on Facebook friends and stuff. That's awesome. So we're gonna wind this up, but I have a couple questions for you. So are the other embryos frozen? Will there be more children? Or was this a one time you got the twins? Because you said there were multiple mm -hmm. embryos. Yeah. Um, you froze some. Um, so are there more children? in the plan or no. is this it this is it so this is the next huge trial that we had to face with infertility was what do you do with the frozen embryos because we were standing that. in a NICU looking at two isolates yeah and we had to decide within I think it was I've it was so many months from the time that we froze them to when we either had to pay to have them continue to be frozen. Right. Um, we could donate them to other families that are looking for embryos for going through infertility issues, or we could terminate them. Donate them to science. Or donate them to science. And so we had to make a tough decision because we- Those are tough decisions to make. And it, they're nauseating. That was one of the toughest, that was probably the toughest decision through everything was what do we do? Mm -hmm. Because at this point, seeing what our daughters went through, seeing what she went through, if something happened at this point, we are not going back. Okay. We could not go down this road again. We could not 
have her be pregnant again because of all the, I mean, the times and times again that we were told she could die, she could die, she could die. We could not go through that again. Right. So then we had to make a decision. Yeah. And um, we also kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, like our people are here. Like these are our daughters and they're here. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, it was never going to be like a, well, if we lost these babies, we would just try again. No, because our babies are here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't even, we we kind of decided that even if something were to happen to our daughters, that we wouldn't be able to do it again anyway. Um, so we terminated our embryos. Because okay. that's, it would, like you said, like Mike said, Mike, mm-hmm. I don't think could have went through if you chose to go through a pregnancy again. I would he not. would not have made it. No. Yeah. <laughs> and we, the hard, the hard part for us was to donate them or not. Yeah. But with donating yeah. them, we we are very generous people. We really wanted to help other people. But with that, there's something kept clicking in our heads that what would happen if one day our son sure. via embryo would meet our daughter in some odd chance that they would be brother, sister. And it kind of just posed some real like complicated like sure. scenarios in our heads. So as much as we would have loved to donate and help others family dreams come true sure we just couldn't for you that do it for us right and that was again that was that was probably the hardest decision through all fertility was we were that like decision physically ill trying to get that thing notarized like yeah it was tough well and i asked that because that has come up before people mm-hmm. have asked and so i want to make sure that the listeners know that these are real things yeah. that you have to go through yeah you do in decision making mm-hmm. and that's part of it you know you you've done the ivf and you have all these embryos and the storage and then you, is expensive and and you have success now you have still mm-hmm. have all these mm-hmm. frozen what happens with all of them and there yeah. are some tough decisions so when we I'm had glad even, that you shared that we had even talked too, like if if the retrieval didn't go so bad for her that because she had so many eggs that were good, she could potentially donate eggs to people in need, or I could donate sperm to people in need, but Mm -hmm. to donate an embryo, which was both parts together, which was was now going to be biologically tied to our daughters. Absolutely. You know, it's it's not just like one piece of the puzzle. Like you're, we would be handing their biological sibling to someone. Yeah. And then you are fitting all control. Yeah. And there are people that, that do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's right for them. That's right for them. And we fully support right. anybody that yes. does that. Yeah, absolutely. We would never right judge for anybody you. for that. No, yeah. they have all of our love and support 100% because. Both ways. Both, yeah, we couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So one last question so that we can, we'll conclude this. Um, I always ask at the end. Anything that we didn't talk about? Any stories you want to share or anything we didn't talk about that you want to share? This would be the time. Could be anywhere in the whole story. And or words of encouragement um, or advice to a man going through it, a woman going through it, a couple going through infertility. Um, I'm going to just let you say whatever's coming from your hearts. I would say the biggest thing for me was find someone or a couple that has gone through it before Mm. to help lean on, to help with questions. Um, Since our story started in 2015, 
we've assisted five or six other couples um, going through infertility, um, directed them in the right way of doctors, directed them in the right way of hospitals, OBs, literally start to finish. We've listened. We Cassie's given shots to people. Cassie's gone and helped organize medicine. We've we've done it all. And I think having that support group is huge. We were lucky to have it within our family. So it was just, it was there and it helped us go through it pretty easily. Um, for guys, it's, it's kind of different. Um, but one thing that I could say to other guys going through, I, I did not have any fertility issues. Um, Cassie had the fertility issues in our scenario, but to not place blame, I guess, because sometimes it's like, well, it's your fault or it's, I don't know why you can't produce a baby or I don't know why this isn't working right, but work as a team, be supportive. Um, and again, reach out, seek other people that have gone through it because most of the people who have gone through it are willing to help other people going through it because they know what it's like. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I want to con- just recognize you for what, for all what you did, you were there supporting her the entire time with everything, which is huge. And what you just said, the giving back, you had the support and now you're doing so much to give back to others going through it. That's huge. What about you, Cassie? Any words? Um, I think my best advice, it, it kind of goes along with Mike's is don't do it alone Yeah, because alone is a really terrible place to be. Yeah. Find those people. Well, we'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Find those people to yeah. support you. And it yeah. doesn't have to be somebody who went through IVF. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it absolutely doesn't. It, it can be. And you can certainly share, like, if you put this on Facebook, you can tag us and stuff. We are, it doesn't matter if you're a stranger or you're a friend, we're here for you if you need to talk, but um, it doesn't have to be. It just has to be someone you're comfortable with. Right. Somebody who will listen to you. Right. I think sometimes it's sometimes easier to talk to a complete stranger yeah. <laughs> than it is your sibling or your your mom or your dad. Yeah. So it's huge that you guys are there to support. I have one last kind sure. of word of encouragement, just not to give up. Mm. Um, the We've met a lot of couples who go to one doctor and get one opinion and end up giving up. And we'll, they'll talk to us and we'll aim them in a different direction and they'll go and they'll have success or have more trials and tribulations, but don't, don't give up at the first, the first diagnosis. Like if you want to have a family, seek that way out. If you want to have a family and, and infertility is going to stand in your way, look at other options like adoption or fostering, things like that. But don't let, don't let infertility be something that can drag your relationship down to a point where it's not mendable. Take care of each other. Take care of each other. Yeah. Remember for yourself. The, remember the love that brought you together, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, great advice from both of you. I really appreciate all that you shared and I appreciate, you know, all that um, you're willing to do and what you've been doing for couples. It's huge. It's a difficult thing to go through. Um, it's not easy and you stuck with it and you did it. I love that you, you encourage people to, to stick to the plan and not to give up hope because there are many doctors that help with many different things. And just because one doctor said something doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. it's fact and it should control your family's destiny. So thank you again so much.
Thank you so much, Mike and Cassie, for coming on and sharing your story today, your journey to have a family. I am just so impressed with how you guys work together as a couple in your decision making. Um, just so strong and confident, like you made a decision and it was all about accomplishing that. I love that you guys had the support, um, which it sounds like, and I think you said it just helped you move through um, the whole process just easier. And so I hope that we can do that um, here with the podcast, help people just ease some of those um, struggles, those um, uncertainties. I would love to do this again where I have a couple on both of you sharing your story um, your perspective on things it was it was inspiring and fun to do that um, with Mike and Cassie and I hope that I can find a, another couple that will do that um, for sure and thank you listeners my goodness for listening to um, Mike and Cassie's story um, I'm sure they inspired you just as they did me I'm sure there was a lot of information there that you learned um, and if so, if that is truly the case, please share this podcast with someone that you believe that it can help. We definitely want to give people hope and we want to support them in any way that we can. It is very cool and impressive how many couples Cassie and Mike have already um, helped through um, their journeys. So, um, and if you know someone that could benefit from this, please share this on your social media or just copy the link and share it with them via text. And as always, I would love to connect with, with all of you, all of my listeners, and we can do that. You can connect with me on Facebook through Women Connect and Support. And my email and phone number is always in the show notes. So for sure, if you want to connect with with Mike and Cassie or myself, reach out to me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And as always, just remember that sharing your story is very powerful and that it will always inspire others and give them hope. You matter and your story matters.